Talking about six. Don Landry is six yards away from his sixth Super Bowl. And of course, for the upstart 49ers, they're six yards away from Pontiac. Third and three. The right side, possibly. Montana looking, looking, throwing in the end zone. with 51 seconds left. Dwight Clark is 6'4". He stands about 10 feet tall in this crowd's estimation. Hey, everybody. Uh, Al Sacco for the No Huddle podcast presented by 49erswebzone.com. And for those of you who are familiar with the show, you know we had a different intro this time around. And that was to honor Dwight Clark. He announced recently that he had ALS. And it's always troubling to hear news like that. And we just wanted to wish Dwight and his family the best in his fight against this. In Zane, Dwight's impact on the 49ers dynasty has been huge, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it kind of started with the catch. And you could argue that it started with the couple of years before the catch when Bill Walsh got here. But I think that that was the defining moment of the 49ers dynasty was, was the catch. And obviously Dwight Clark being on the receiving end of that, it it changed the fortunes of the 49ers forever. And he is forever a part of 49ers lore because of that. And, and he's such an important figure in in the franchise's history and to, to hear of his ALS diagnosis and to hear the, the prognosis of, of that disease is it's scary, but you know, we're with Dwight, we're fighting alongside him. We support him, and you know, we just wish him the best. Very well said. And what I thought was interesting about Dwight Clark, because I was a baby, you know, when he was when he was doing the most damage in the NFL, and I, I looked up some of his numbers. And nineteen eighty season, nineteen eighty one season, nineteen eighty two season, he was one of the most dominant receivers in the NFL. And obviously, the numbers back then don't really correlate to what they are now. But in 1980, he was second in the league in receptions in ninth and yards. In 81, he was second in the league in receptions in ninth and yards. In 82, he was first in the league in receptions and second in yards. And if you looked at his numbers during those Super Bowl runs, in the 81 season and the 84 season, they played, Niners played six games combined in those two Super Bowl runs. And he had 36 catches, 541 yards, and three touchdowns. He basically averaged six catches, 90 yards a game he was dominant. He was a dominant player in his era. And, and sometimes, you, you know, like you said, I, I think he's, he's remembered for the catch, but, but he was such a prolific receiver. He's such a 49er great. And, and we're definitely all thinking about him right now. Yeah. And I, and I'm really, I'm really impressed with how the 49ers, um, all of his former teammates and, and Eddie DeBarlow and everybody have kind of rallied around him. And it's almost like that family atmosphere that used to exist back when they had that dynasty is it's kind of back now with, with this, um, fight that everybody's fighting and you don't really see that anymore in today's NFL you don't really see the family atmosphere and the and the DeBartolos were big on creating that sort of atmosphere where if you play on the team you were like family and the telling fact of that is is that you you talk to anybody they speak who's played on those teams and they're undeniably loyal to Eddie DeBarlo and undeniably loyal to each other you know they have reunions they had they had a, a reunion a few years ago in Las Vegas where they brought all the Super Bowl teams together and, and so many people showed up there. So you just don't see that anymore in today's NFL. 
Yeah, and you you hope that that Jed York can get that going again, and and at some point maybe he will. But it, I was looking at Clark, and and I I really thought a lot about the Forty ers receivers and and how dominant the receivers were for so long. And if you look at sort of the number one receivers the Forty ers had, they went from Dwight Clark to Jerry Rice to Terrell Owens, and then basically they've fallen off a cliff. They went from having some of the most dominant receivers in the NFL to pretty much struggling to get anybody prolific at the position at all. And one of the reasons for that is with how poorly they've drafted. And I'm a big nerd when it comes to this stuff. So um, I actually wrote an article a couple of years ago, but I went back and, and took a look at it. I wanted to look at every receiver the 49ers drafted since 1996 when they took T.O. in the third round. So I got that. Are you ready for this list saying it's pretty ugly? Go for it. All right. Okay. So going through and I'm going to go through every year. So bear with me here. Okay. So 1997, they didn't take a receiver. 1998, they took somebody named Ryan Thelwell in the seventh round. I don't know who he is. 99, they took, he went to the CFL, Ryan Thelwell. He's, he was like a a star up there, I believe. Um, Really? I don't, you actually know who Ryan Thelwell is? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, I believe he went to the CFL. Yeah. I spent a few years in Canada. So uh, I, I sounds familiar. Definitely. I'm going to have to Google him. I'm going to have to Google Ryan, see what he's doing. 99, they took Ty Streets in the sixth round, and he had a decent year for a six or a decent career for the Niners for a sixth round pick. 2000, they didn't take a receiver. 2001, Cedric Wilson in the sixth round. 2003, they took Brandon Lloyd in, in Arnez Battle. But where it really gets ugly is 2004 on. So 2004 on, they took Rashawn Woods and Derek Hamilton in 2004. Rashid Marshall in 2005, along with Marcus Maxwell. 2006 was Brandon Williams. 2007 was Jason Hill. 2008 they took Joshua Morgan in the sixth round, and he actually had a decent career for a sixth rounder. 2009 was Michael Crabtree, and, and he probably didn't live up to the hype, but, but he was good. He was the best receiver they've taken in the last 20 years. 2010 was Kyle Williams, who let's not even talk about that. 2011 was Ronald Johnson. 2012 was A.J. Jenkins. 13 was Quentin Patton. 14 was Bruce Ellington. 15, DeAndre Smelter. And 16, Aaron Burbage. So basically, they've taken a whole lot of nothing in the last 20 years, which is why they've struggled at this position. Wow. And I thought it was, inter- I thought it was interesting. Since 2004, um, they, took, they drafted 15 wide receivers. Those 15 guys combined for 47 touchdowns. And if you take Crabtree out, the 14 guys combined for 21 touchdowns. So you're basically getting no production out of any receiver that you selected in the last 20 years, other than Crabtree and I guess Josh Morgan. Um, So when you look at those guys that they brought in and you look at those numbers, it's not surprising that this offense has been bad for so long And looking at the draft this year, you know, we're hoping that they, they go and, and they trade back or they grab somebody like Mike Williams or someone like that. But I don't know that they're going to, but it's been, it's been an ugly couple decades at the receiver position. It has. And the funny thing is, is they don't really draft receivers high. If you look at that list, how many of those guys were drafted aside from Crabtree in the, in the first or second round? Yeah, that's a great point. There's Crabtree. And who was the last Niner before that draft in the first round? Was it JJ Stokes? So Uh, it's actually Rashawn Woods. Oh, that's right. Rashawn Woods. Yeah. They, they, he, he liked fishing more than he liked football. So, <laughs> yeah. So Rashawn Woods. So they, they very rarely go after receivers in the first round. And part of that is because obviously Jerry was there and, and he was a stalwart and he was the, the perennial Hall of Famer and all pro. And you know what you're going to get out of him. And then they got T.O. And, and he really blossomed into something really special until he kind of went crazy and wrote his own ticket out of town. But 
they've never really had a really high draft pick on a receiver that's that's worked out. And you can it, argue that Crab, Crabtree worked out for a bit, but it took him a while to get going. And it was only for, he only had one 1,000 yard season. So it's not like he was tearing the league up. Yeah, Crabtree, and a lot of it was quarterback play. It definitely was. But his best season was 85 catches, 1,100 yards, and nine touchdowns. Other than that, he only broke 100 or 800 yards, I should say, one other time. So he was really a disappointment considering when he came into the league, he looked like he was going to be that number one type guy and he held out and you thought he'd come in and be prolific and he wasn't. And yeah, it seems like it was a good point what you said about them not taking a receiver high. It seems like they're trying to find these bargains in the middle of the draft and it hasn't happened. At some point they have to just get after it and try to take their Odell Beckham draft that guy high trade up and be aggressive. You know, you could say Sammy Watkins hasn't worked out for the bills, but they were aggressive and, and they went and got him. And, and I think that's what the Niners need to do. If you look at the receivers they've actually taken in the first round, like you said, Crabtree, he was pretty good. But the other two, AJ Jenkins and Rashawn Woods, they combined for seven catches between the two of them. When you're drafting two receivers in the first round, they combined for seven catches. It's just atrocious. It's absolutely yeah. atrocious. That's brutal. So that's brutal. Yeah. It, and and I think the new regime really understands the importance of getting a playmaker on the outside. And I don't know that they're going to do it this year, but I, I think you will see John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan draft a receiver high soon. Yeah, the the previous GM who shall not be named on this podcast, he didn't value that wide receiver position, and it and it's the results are telling. When the 49ers rolled into the championship game against the the Giants with Joe Hastings and Brett Swain as two other receivers that tells you enough to know that he undervalued that position and, and they're suffering even today for it they never had a long-term plan and you could get away for a few years there when you had Crabtree and they had Bolden they had the vets there but they never really had a secession plan for those guys you can't say Quentin Patton was that guy and now like you said yeah they're in a position where the, the cupboard was bare and look at what they did this offseason. They went out and they signed Pierre Garçon. They signed Marquise Goodwin. They signed um, Eldrick Robinson. They re-signed Jeremy Curley, which was one of the few things Trent Belke, good things Trent Belke's done recently. Um, but they almost had to bring in three new receivers just to rebuild this receiving corp. And they have some guys who are holdovers that you think like, oh, well, maybe they could step up. But Eric Rogers has never played an NFL game. Bruce Ellington can't stay healthy. So so the holdover guys, I mean, are you excited about Aaron Burbage? I don't know that I am. DeAndre yeah, Smelter, I, I don't know. Nah. These are yeah. stereotypical, bulky-type picks. Smelter yep. came off the ACL. Burbage was more of a possession receiver. And it's interesting because he kind of filled the roster. And I know I, I mentioned his name and and uh, my bad on that, but <laughs> he, he filled the roster with his guys and 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 – not guys that were going to fit the system like the Burbridge pick last year. And this is nothing against Aaron Burbridge, but the Burbridge pick last year, he was a prototypical bulky guy. He did not fit the Chip Kelly system and yet bulky picked him anyway. So there's, there's a lot of those players on the team and, and it's going to take some time to flush that out and, and, and restock the roster. And I just really hope everybody's patient because we get a lot of comments from people talking about how the 49ers haven't really signed anybody that's name worthy or any superstars or any explosive players, but everybody has to understand that. And we've talked about this before is that it's, it's a rebuild and it's going to take time and it's a process. And, and all of these pieces that they're adding are worthwhile pieces and they're building a foundation. And when that, 
roster is ripe, they'll be able to add those explosive players because they haven't killed the cap building their team. Yeah, and you made a good point. They're adding they're adding pieces and sort of support pieces right now. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited for this draft is because you're going to see the guys that Lynch and Shanahan start to identify as cornerstone guys. You would think that the people that they start getting in the draft are going to be the guys they want to build their team around. And, and, I'm, and I'm really interested to see how they approach it. And if if you look at a lot of mock drafts, it, it seems in, in in we've been going back and forth on Twitter about this. A lot of mock drafts have them taking Solomon uh, Thomas, which which I don't think is is going to happen. Um, but what have you seen when you've looked at at these mocks and 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 the hype behind certain players regarding to the Forty ers Well, I want to first start by saying to all of our listeners out there. Keep a lookout for our pre-draft podcast that's going to be coming up in a couple weeks. So just want to give that a plug real quick for everybody, and uh, they'll be on the lookout for that. But aside from that, the mock drafts, I, I've seen some pretty pretty gross mock drafts out there and pretty lazy mock drafts. And and the reason why is because I, I was reading a an article yesterday with a mock draft that had uh, Mitchell Trubisky going to the 49ers at number two, even after his bad pro day. And that just tells me that people just aren't doing their homework and uh, it's not, it's, it's not the same for every mock draft. I don't want to paint with a broad brush here and say that every single mock draft is, is garbage out there, but there are some out there that I just, I just totally dismiss because you just know that the 49ers aren't going to go in that direction and, and they're not going to meet, they're not going to make that pick. And I'm, and I'm interested that, to see, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So you mentioned the Solomon Thomas uh, pick and he's an intriguing option. He's an interesting guy. And he's got the measurables. He's got some pretty good production in his last year at Stanford. And he had a great bowl game and a great senior bowl and a great combine. And he's really shot up draft boards. And people are talking about the potential for playing the Leo position with him. And I mean, do you think that he's even big enough to play Leo or, or you know, big enough to play inside and, and light enough to play Leo? I don't see him as a traditional pass, pass rusher, which is why to get him at number two, to, it just didn't make any sense to me. If they trade back and they want to go after a Derek Barnett, who, who's who's a stronger pass rusher, I, I would understand that. But I think it, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors right now with the Niners at two. I think they do have a plan, and I think that ultimately will involve they want to trade back, but that takes two to tango. They have to have someone to trade back with. And there were some rumors about the Panthers wanting to move up to two and, and really eight would probably be an ideal spot for the 49ers to, to go back to. And I think the guys that they would want, you look at the safeties, Hooker and Adams, they're going to need a safety in, in the new deep four, three defense that they're running. But you kind of look at, they were going to move Jimmy Ward to safety. So do they see him as that guy? Are Hooker and Adams smoke screens as good as the players I think they're going to be? Do they want someone like a Leonard Fournette? And I think the guy that they're all they they will ultimately have their eyes on is Reuben Foster. And I know he had his issues at the combine. He got in an argument with a medical staff person or something. I, I don't know the specifics of it, but I think he's one of the most other than Miles Garrett. He might be the safest pick in this draft. I just think Foster's a plug and play linebacker who could be a Pro Bowl type player for. 10 years and, and if the Niners want to trade back to get him that's fine but if they took him at two uh, I'd be fine with it I think that would be a great pick yeah I agree and anybody who's listened to our previous podcast knows that Reuben Foster is my draft crush so I would love I would love it if we picked Reuben Foster even if it was at number two uh, at that point you're really aside from Miles Garrett you're really reaching for anybody 
at that point. And it's whether you want to reach five picks, 10 picks, 15 picks, or half a round. But it doesn't matter who you pick at number two, you're going to be reaching. And I say that because there's really no clear-cut number two best player in this draft. So if you're going to reach, I'm comfortable with reaching for something that's a safe bet. And Ruben Foster seems to be the safest bet in this draft outside of Miles Garrett. And in defense looks to be the name of the game in the early going. I, I just think there are so many good defensive players at the top end of this draft that that would be great picks in the top five. And as much as you'd like to see the 49ers add and, you know, a dynamic offensive playmaker, I, I just think if they do stay at two, there's they should add one of the top defensive guys, whether it's it, it's a Foster, whether it's a Hooker, whether it's an Adams or whoever it may be. If they do trade back, then I think maybe the receivers get into it. Maybe Leonard Fournette, if you want to go that way. I do think they're going to add a running back early. I really do. Shanahan kind of. He doesn't need that second running back to make his offense go, but it certainly helps the offense. And I, I really think – I don't think McCaffrey is going to be there when they pick in the second round, but if he is, I think they would jump on him. But but a back like that – I actually saw um, – I think it was Matt Miller who who did a, a 49ers offseason overview thing, and he gave them Joe Mixon in the second round. And, and Matt does a great job, but I, I, I don't think – for as much as um, Shanahan and Lynch have emphasized character – with this team, I don't think there's any way they go Joe Mixon. I, I just don't, obviously, for his off-the-field issues. So, But I do think that they're going to get a running back early, and he's going to be a big part of this offense, whoever they do take. Yeah, it, it's funny. I don't, I don't necessarily agree that they'll take a running back early, and I'll tell you why. Um, it's because when you look at the old Denver offenses in the, of the 90s, and late 90s and early 2000s, you see those running backs that were taken. None of those guys were really taken early except for Clinton Portis. You had uh, Terrell Davis, you had Ruben Drones, you had Mike Anderson, Orlandis Gary, Tatum Bell, and, and Portis. And out of all of those guys, Clinton Portis was taken in the second round. He's taken the earliest. And they seemed, to get, they seemed to get the most out of late round running back picks. And without, without getting too much into our draft analysis so we don't, so we don't uh, spill the beans for our, our draft show, but one guy I, I am really looking at right now is Donnell Pumphrey from uh from sd and he played down in san diego he broke the all-time ncaa rushing record which was uh, ron dane's record prospect he's he's a little undersized he's he's about five eight and he's under 200 pounds but he is that change of pace back that you're that you're looking for he can catch out of the backfield he runs pretty well between the tackles and uh he's pretty sure-handed so i think he's definitely an option but as far as We've been asked uh, what are our top picks if the 49ers stay at number two at the top of the draft. I would have to say in no particular order, but after after Reuben Foster, I'd have to say Reuben Foster is my number one uh, choice at number two. And after that would be probably Adams because he's he's a little bit more polished player than Hooker is. Hooker has had success, but he only has that one year where he really was was dominant. So that makes me kind of wary. Mm-hmm. Despite that, mm-hmm. I, I would probably take Hooker after Adams. And after that, you're looking at Derek Barnett. And I know that's a region number two, but he, he had a really great college career and he almost broke the all-time sacks record in college. So he, he can definitely get after the quarterback. He can play that Leo position. He can, he can be an edge rusher. And if they really want Solomon Thomas, I'm okay with the 49ers taking him. I, I just don't like the idea of taking a, a, a tweener at number two and a guy who you're going to ask to change positions 
and a guy who's mostly a potential pick and and not as much production. Whereas with a guy like Barnett, it, that's a production pick. You know the guy can produce. So and while production isn't the be all end all, it's definitely a, a measure. So who's 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 in your top five for that pick at number two? Um. Well, I think again for in before I do that, uh, one guy late you mentioned late running back, and, and again we'll get more into this. But Aaron Jones from UTEP, are you familiar with him? Yep, yep. They just he, had they just had him in for a visit. Yeah, and he actually said I, I uh, tweeted at him, and he actually said he'd come on the podcast if he gets drafted by the Forty Nine ers. So so let's root for that. I don't know if he's going to actually do it when he actually <laughs> if he does get drafted, but he said he said he'd come on. So we got to root for him for him late. Aaron um, Jones, Aaron Jones, if you're listening, hit us up. <laughs> Come on, on, buddy. We got a spot waiting for you. But my top five, yeah, I think if they do stay at two, they have they have to go defense. I think, um, and I, I think the two safeties are great picks there. Um, I think Ruben Foster's a, a great pick there. Beyond those guys, if they like Thomas, I, I don't think it would be a bad pick necessarily. For me, if I had to slide somebody else in the top five, man. Um, and I'll go somebody non-defense. I'd say that they, if if they if they think Fournette's a game-changing back, if if they think he's can have an Ezekiel Elliott type impact, then I think you take him. When you're at number two, you want an impact player who can come in and sort of change the way your franchise is. And and I, if they believe Fournette's that guy, I'll, I'll put him in there in the top five. I really will. I mean, fair enough, right? They they are looking for playmakers, and and they have an idea of what players will fit their system and the interesting thing is that this is a this is not a great year to be at number two overall and you don't say that that much but last year you looked at Carson Wentz and and Jared Goff going to the top of the draft and there's nobody really at number two that's that's that definitive guy so it's it's a little bit of bad luck where they you know they just had to win that game at the end against the Rams but hey any any win is good right so it's just a little bit of bad luck where they're kind of at the top of the draft and there's really nowhere to go. Usually there would be an offensive lineman, a tackle or uh, a quarterback or somebody like that. And, and there really isn't. And specifically looking, looking at offensive lineman tackles guards, there really isn't much depth in this draft. It's not, a, it's not a top heavy draft for offensive line. Is it? It's not. And, and I actually think that the old line might be in better shape than people give it credit for right now. I think last year they they had a couple of young pieces in Trent Brown and, and Josh Gargan, Josh Garnett, and they they certainly had their growing pains. And, and you have to think that those guys are going to get better. And the fact that they haven't, at least not yet, they haven't addressed tackle, they haven't really addressed guard. You have to think that from when Lynch and Shanahan put on the film that they liked what they saw from those two as well. And if you look at what they have, especially in the interior, interior now, they they traded for uh, Zuta from uh, Baltimore, who's probably going to be the starting center. You would think he'll he'll compete with Daniel Kilgore, and the loser of that battle may go to one of the guard spots. In worst case scenario, they're a versatile backup, and then you're going to have Zane Beatles, who, you know, you want to call him average. He does pretty well in the zone blocking scheme. And then obviously, you know, Joe Staley's a rock at left tackle. So their offensive line really isn't as bad as people think it is. And it may actually be, the arrow may be pointed up there. So John Lynch said that he liked what he saw at the offensive line. And the fact that they've been sort of passive with addressing it this offseason, other than than getting Zuda, it tells you that that they do like what they see there. And, and maybe in the new system, they like how these guys look and, and that could be a good sign for a young team moving forward. 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see how they're approaching not only the offensive line but this entire draft process. They're they're going to a lot of smaller schools, and they were just at Bucknell visiting three players over there. And before that, yesterday they were at UT Chattanooga, which is TO's alma mater. They're at Chattanooga visiting some players over there. So it's it's interesting to see that they're going to smaller schools first, and then they'll be going to the bigger ones obviously after that and and they've been to Alabama and they went to UNC and they and they they have met with uh several players at the combine and and they'll having they'll be having a lot of guys come in I, I think it's 30 players that you're allowed to bring in but it's interesting to see that they're actually going after a lot of these small school kids and and it's intriguing because those guys there's there's a lot of knocks on them because of the competition they play against but I think I really think you can find some gems at those smaller schools yeah, and I, right now, and, and maybe I'm looking through everything with red and gold colored glasses, but I just think that they have a good, they have good personnel people in place, and I think Lynch has put good personnel people people around him, and, and especially Adam Peters, who did a great job with college scouting at Denver, and to have these guys there, and and yeah, like you said, there there's sort of some gems, and and for them to be able to do that work and do that research, and, and maybe find a couple of these gems that they can get in the fourth or fifth round that can come in. and and make an impact it's huge because like we said this this draft is going to start putting the cornerstone pieces in place the Niners did a great job in free agency with getting pieces but not necessarily cornerstone pieces you could say use check might be somebody who could be a cornerstone type piece but Pierre Garçon's only going to be there for a couple of years everybody else are sort of role players that they brought in or, or stop gaps Malcolm Smith is more of a stop gap Obviously, Brian Hoyer is a stopgap. So it'll be interesting to see these guys that they bring in again to be cornerstone pieces, which is what they need. Yeah, and, and I trust I trust in the front office. They're, they're really good at what they do. Adam Peters has a great track record. Uh, Martin Mayhew has been a GM before. And, and obviously, John Lynch, when you're talking about certain positions, he's, he, I would consider him an expert because he played safety in this league. So the fact that he's evaluating safeties himself, I, I trust him a heck of a lot more than somebody who hasn't paid the, played the position. So they've got the right people making the calls at this point. Now it's just a matter if they can make that call. Isn't it crazy how the tone of everything's changed in like two months? I mean, two months ago, yeah. I think every fan was ready to jump off a bridge and they had no faith in Jed York. I was like convinced they were going to hire Tom Cable, you know, just because I, because I thought, okay, what's the dumbest thing he could do? Hire Tom Cable. I was convinced he was going to do it. And and just the whole tone now of everything is different, which is a good feeling. And listen, I'm not going to say like the Niners are going to go into the season and, and be a playoff contender. I don't think they are. I think they'll probably go six and 10 or five and 11. But all I want to see are that things are moving in the right, the right direction. And the front office has a clue and the coaching staff has a clue and they're in unison. It's not a, a general manager drafting his players, regardless of what the coach's style is. And I think that's what we're going to see. And it's it's exciting again. You know, we've said this a million times, but it really is. It's exciting again to be a 49ers fan. What it's not exciting to be Zane is a Raiders fan right now. Um, oh, did something happen with the Raiders? I, I don't know. I wasn't, uh, I didn't hear anything. I, what, what yeah, I'll pay attention. They're moving maybe. I don't know. I don't pay attention to that team. No, but yeah, I, I do actually, in all honesty, I, I, any, I think it's awful when teams move. I think it's absolutely awful. It's an awful thing to do to the fan base. You know, I, I really do feel for Raiders fans right now. It's a, it's a, it's a tough thing, man. Um, and, and it's like, aren't they staying for like two or three years before they move? Yeah, it just creates this really awkward situation, almost like between two divorcing parents, and you know they're going to be divorced, but they kind of have to live together for a couple of years before it happens. And Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, 
it's it's just a really weird, awkward situation, and I I feel for Raiders fans as well. And I know we're a, we're a 49ers station, and and I'm 49ers for life. But as a Bay Area fan, as a Bay Area sports fan, it's a huge loss. And the reason why is because the Raiders make the Bay better. They make it more competitive. It's great to have two teams here. Fans have a choice. I'm an East Bay kid. I grew up in Concord. Shout out to 925. I grew, I grew up in Concord. <laughs> and, you know, I'm an, I'm an A's fan. I'm an Oakland A's fan. And I, and I at that point, the Raiders, the Raiders didn't exist. They're in L.A., so I became a Niners fan. But I, I know what they mean to the city of Oakland. I know how important they are. Um, I, I have a lot of friends that are Raiders fans and, and some families. Well, they're devastating. It's nothing short of devastating. They're going to tear that place apart in the last game. I would not go to the last game there. Those fans are going to just destroy that place. You yeah. know, like uh, let's just let's, let's hope that last that game happen. Yeah, let's hope that last game's not at Levi's because they've, they've been talking <laughs> about sharing Levi's, right? They've been talking about sharing Levi's Stadium with the 49ers for their last season in 2019. And, and oh, I did, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. Boy, I'm I, I hope that doesn't happen because they're going to absolutely trash that place. Yeah, I hope so too. It's just a disaster. And they finally had a good team after how many years, you know, they finally have a franchise quarterback. They have a franchise defensive player in Cleo Madden and they're out the door. It just it just it really is tough. And it just I don't know, it makes me glad that that I guess my team just built a new stadium and they're staying where they are. So yeah. I mean Mark Mark Davis just made a he made a money play and, and the fact that they're going to Vegas, people have mixed feelings about that and it it's just it just doesn't sit well with me. The fact that there's going to be a football team in Vegas and I don't care how many fans are out there. You're talking about the 40th largest TV market in the entire country. They're, they're competing with the same size of people as or same size of market as, as green Bay. And it's, it's the people Vegas is, is a weekend trip town. It is not a place where people, it is not a destination spot. It's, it's more like a pit stop. Hey, we're going to go to Vegas for three days and then, and then that's it that's all you need in Vegas is you need a maximum of, of like three days. So to put a football team there and to basically just go after the money when the city of Oakland, they also dropped the ball too, but when they had a stadium plan that they were working on and it was, it was too little too late, but the NFL could have delayed this vote. And it was clear that Roger Goodell and the other owners wanted the Raiders to move to Vegas. And that's the most unfortunate part is that Roger Goodell's legacy is going to be, Three teams moving within the, the matter of, of 14 months, which is, which is awful, which is terrible. Because like you said, you never want to see teams move. And that's basically what he's, he's done to this league. Is it's, it's, it's about the money now, and they're going to go where there's more money. That's all he cares about. Yeah, Goodell is just ugh, uh, just an empty suit, man. All that guy cares about is money. And, and the sad part is that's why he's going to keep his job, because he, they are bringing in money hand over fist. And that's all he cares about. And regardless of, of how much he messes up with suspensions and the ridiculous ways he handles people who have been, you know, who have been accused of domestic violence, uh, the ridiculous way he handles people who's, who smoke pot. He's, he's just so off base in everything that he does to me, but he's making money for the league. So he, he's, he's going to stick around and, and, and it's, it really is sad to me. It, it really is. is. It is sad. And Obviously, the other owners they they like making money and and they get really relocation fees and all that for for any time a team moves. But when it comes down to it, you're talking about taking a staple of an area and you're taking that that staple and you're moving it and you're affecting so many lives. And 
you know, for us 49ers fans, it's, it's great because any fan that will come in to the Bay Area after 2020 will most likely, if you like football, you're going to be a 49ers fan, which is awesome for us because we get, you know, hey, the more the, more the merrier. And John Lynch said himself, he's like, you know, jump on our train. And, you know, we're open for business. So it's it's great for the 49ers. And, and, I, and I hope that Jed York doesn't take that for granted and, and as another reason to kind of not really care about the team anymore. I hope that he takes that as a message to say that there's more people ever than watching the 49ers. And it's important to put a good product out there. Definitely. You know what I wanted to ask you, and we didn't really talk about this before, but I want to throw it out there. Are we really going into the season with Brian Hoyer as our quarterback? I mean, is that happening? Is that- it looks like it. Yeah, it looks like it. And you have some interesting stats that you put out on Twitter about the number of 49ers passers that have gone over 300 yards um, in the last couple of years. And Brian Hoyer himself has has passed that mark. You know, my thing with Hoyer, though, in like, I, I think he's going to play pretty well with Shanahan. I think he'll do better than people think that he will. And he's had some pretty good stats for whatever that for whatever that means in his last 16, 17 starts. But one thing that sticks out to me about him, and I don't know if I read this somewhere or, or whatever, but every team that he's on, he's gone the next year. Do you notice that he's like constantly bouncing from team to team? Nobody's like, oh, well, we want to hold on to him just in case or, or whatever. And he's, I, he's I, I know he's and, he's one and done every year. Pretty much. He was on Chicago last year, year before he was on Houston, the year before that he was on Cleveland, right? And I think he was on Cleveland for two years. I just feel like he's bounced around a ton and you see him play for, you know, he's going to have a few good games. And I know he's only going to be on the Niners for a year. He wouldn't be the starter for more than a year. I just wonder, I I don't know. And maybe I'm living in a fantasy world. I I just think there's got to be something else. I just don't, I think even if, they are okay. You say maybe they're going to wait for Kirk Cousins. That's just you don't know what's going to happen in a year. You can't do that, you know, yeah. unless there's some kind of wink, wick hand, handshake deal that that went down that we don't know about. You cannot sit and wait and say, oh, well, this guy will be available in a year because you don't know he could get hurt. The Redskins can offer him, get desperate, and offer him twenty five million a year. You can't sit around and wait. So I just wonder if if nothing did happen with Cousins right now, it doesn't look like it is maybe Shanahan falls in love with a quarterback in this draft. And maybe it is a guy later, maybe it's second round pick, maybe it's third round pick that he just thinks he can groom and that can come in and start in 2018. But I just, I can't see like Brian Hoyer and Matt Barkley being the one, two combination this year. I I don't know. Maybe they will do that for a year. I just think it's kind of nuts. Well, you know, Brian Hoyer did play on the Patriots and uh, anything that Tom Brady touches is pretty much turns into gold or gets deflated but uh, he he's played on the Patriots before he's had a chance to to learn behind Brady and and I'm hoping that that kind of rubs off on on whoever the 49ers choose to draft because I think that they will draft a quarterback at some point this year it's just a matter of what round they're going to do it in I just wonder if they just come out and I don't think they're going to take quarterback at two I, I don't think there's any way but I wonder if maybe they just they fall in love with somebody. There's been a lot of smoke with um, Kaiser from Notre Dame. What if they just really like him and they trade back in the first round to get him? You know, something like that. And then all of a sudden, there's your quarterback of the future. I'm, I'm just I'm so interested to see what they do in the draft. I know we'll get more into this just because they look like they're going to be very aggressive and they look like they're going to go after and get the guys that they want. And I, I can't wait to see these next four weeks are going to drag. I can't read another mock draft. I just want the draft to come and like see what this team is going to do because I think they're going to surprise some people. You know, I don't think it's going to be Solomon Thomas at two and this guy in the second round. I think they're going to move around. I think they're going to be aggressive. 
and I just cannot wait. Draft cannot come soon enough. Yeah, it's it's the it's almost the worst time of the year because there's really nothing to report right now. Even after the draft between the draft and, and training camp, there's still signings and there's and there's cuts and you hear about these rookies with with mini camp and things like that. So it's it literally the most dead time of the year and the hardest month of the year for me to get through in terms of NFL because there's there's not much news and most of it's speculation and most of the mock drafts are are and granted these these are experts that cover the entire league and not specific teams so we should cut them some slack but most of the mock drafts that I'm reading I, I don't agree with I think that Ruben Boster is going to be that pick and without giving up too much information uh, about our about our uh, draft preview podcast um, I'll I'll just leave it at that yeah, I think these guys do mock drafts, and I think they just look at other people's mock drafts, and they all kind of do the same mock draft. Or they look at guys who are picked kind of sort of around the same time and just kind of flip-flop picks. Like, I really think there's no rhyme or reason to it. I'm sure there's a few guys who who really, you know, look into it, but there's, and there's just so many of them out there. And I guess I guess sports writing is sort of a saturated field right now. So um, I don't know if I've even done Have you ever done a mock draft in any, anything you've written? No, I haven't done a mock draft up to this point. Maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we should do a mock draft. You want to maybe do that? Maybe we can get like a web zone. We can get like all the writers and like do something like that. Yeah, I think I think our listeners would like that. Listeners, give us feedback on that. If you if you want a mock draft from the 49ers web zone crew, let us know and uh, and we'll we'll deliver that to you. And we'll try to be different. We'll try just not to go like, you know, Miles Garrett one, Solomon Thomas two, try to try to mix it up a little bit. But yeah, I'd have to go back and look. I don't think I ever really did anything like that. I don't know. I used to do reviews and it's funny. I go back and, and read like some of the reviews I did of like the drafts from like 2012. And I'm like, oh, you know, bulky knocked it out of the park or whatever. And I was just so off base, so off base yeah. on a lot of the stuff he did. Like, I remember when they drafted Tank Carradine, I was like so excited. I'm like, yeah, he's going to replace Justin Smith. Give him a year. No idea <laughs> what I'm talking about. No idea what I'm talking about sometimes. Well, that's OK. You know, we that's that pretty much is par for the course for everybody when it comes to to drafts. Nobody really knows what's going on until until you're actually in the war room or or you are the person that's making those calls. But there's there's just some picks that you see, like the, the Solomon Thomas pick. It, it kind of came. He kind of shot up draft boards. And about three weeks ago, his name would was connected to the 49ers and a couple of mock drafts uh, connected him. And it seems like everybody after that was like, hey, that's actually a really good idea. We're going to put Solomon Thomas on the 49ers because we really don't have a clue as to what the 49ers are going to do. And everybody else is saying that they're going to take Thomas. So we're just going to do it too. So it doesn't seem that there's a lot of thought being put into it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. And again, like I said, and we'll get more into this, but I don't think he's a prototypical pass rusher like you would want for that. So, and again, I think, I know you think they, they'll address, address running back later. They're going to definitely take a running back at, at some point because they're not going into the season with just Hyde who's gets injured every year. And who, who else? They have Mike Davis. They just resigned Harris, who I like. Um, I think isn't it like like Mo, what's what's that? Isn't it Mozart? What's his name? Mozart or something? I gotta look. Who's their other running back they have on the roster right now? Do you even know his name? Oh, Mozart. I don't no, think he's gonna. <laughs> he's he's. I, I gotta, think he's gonna play play a song for us. <laughs> I, I gotta look up his name now. It's like it's it's like Mohurt or something. I don't even. Isn't it sad? I don't even know what his name is. I think he had like uh, one carry last year. Raheem Raheem uh, Mostert, I believe. Is that what it is? Yeah. All right. I'm 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 looking up the depth chart right now because our listeners probably don't know who he is either. Or maybe they do when they're just like, oh, you're an idiot. How do you not know who he is? <laughs> and we, so, we, know, we know he's not Stefan Gilmore, so we definitely yeah, we know, know. We know that. <laughs> well, I, at least I know his last name. Mostert. Okay, so M-O-S-T-E-R-T. So I was close. It's not Mozart, but I was, I was close. So, 
Yeah, so it's Carlos Hyde, Mike Davis, and um, we'll call him uh, Raheem Mo- Mozart. Mozart. He can play it's with uh, Stefan Gilmore. <laughs> he can play for Zelig. It's almost yeah. like that that scene in Dumb and Dumber where he was like, Slappy, Skippy, Samsonite. I was way yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a horrible 49ers writer. I don't even know his name. That's all right. But, but you know what's not going to be way off? Our draft podcast preview. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be good stuff, and we're gonna be putting it together, and it'll be a little bit closer to the draft. Um, and I'm really looking forward to doing that, especially as things get closer, and and everybody's excited, and we're really ramped up, so it'll be good stuff. Yeah, and to and to all the uh, all of our listeners and fans out there, thank you so much for your feedback. Thank you so much for your your requests. We do our best to get every one of those on the air every time we do this, and you know the more the more the merrier. We're we're always happy to to discuss whatever you guys want. This podcast is for you guys. This podcast is for you, 49ers fans. And we can't really thank, like Zane said, thank everybody enough. The response we've gotten for this has been incredible. We didn't we didn't think we'd get a response like this this early on. Um, and we're definitely really excited about it. And we've had, you know, without mentioning names and, you know, we can't do that, but we've had a lot of people interested in coming on as guests too. And, and you know, we're completely honored that some of these people would want to come on the show. Um, so we will have more guests lined up. You know, we've already had Chris Biederman. We've already had Matt Barrows. Um, and we just want to say thank you to the fans for supporting us so far. And hopefully we're going to be around for a while. So Zane, until next time, my friend, um, want to thank all the listeners. This is Al Sacco for the No Huddle Podcast presented by 49ers Web Zone. Peace out.